Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores this wild and wacky universe of tabletop gaming that we are currently in. Um, I know I've said this on prior podcasts. We are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many games for us to spend our hobby dollar on, our time, which is often more precious than our hobby dollar these days, um, or just, you know, just there's just too many good games to play. And I'm drowning in this at the moment. This seems to be worse than ever. There are so many good games. I mean, Conflict 47 just came out with Defiance. We have Strontium Dog. Age of Sigmar version 2 just dropped. We've got um, bolt action supplements that are about to drop into the pipe that are amazing. The Desert War books coming thick and fast on us. We have Warhammer 40,000 Kill Team about to hit. Um, God, I'm just scratching the surface. I literally do not have enough day in my day to do hobby. Like, it's crazy. And I don't know what to do. So tonight, we're going to talk through some of this, like, just so much stuff coming at us. But before we get to that, there is something kind of big we need to talk about. But before we get to that, I need to introduce our guest. Now, there is only one man who possibly could come on and talk the weth, the 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 length and depth and breadth of gaming and know have his finger on so many pulses and to be just a rad dude and such a great guest and is one of the most amazing tournament organizers literally there is um, in my opinion anyway and of course he's a good friend of the show and to me personally Pete West Welcome back to Cast Dice. G'day, Brad. I'm glad you can't see my blushes. Oh, I love you, baby, and you know it. How you doing, man? <laughs> Very good, thank you. A lovely winter's night here in Canberra. Oh, I love it when you say the word winter, and I'm trying to segue really blunt and uh, badly. So how about that giant event you just ran on the weekend? Bolt action at CanCon's sort of six-month uh, dark reflection, Muintercon? <laughs> How do we, yeah? Well, it's certainly, it, it's cold reflection. I think the players, some of the players from out of state got a bit of a shock how cold Canberra mornings are at this time of year. Minus we six, were... is that what I heard? Yep, yep. So, uh, I'm, but I'm pleased to report everyone dragged their sorry ass out of bed and got, <laughs> got to the tournament on time. Oh, man. Uh, Operation Bear. I lost five players in like the 36 hours in the run up to the event. I don't know how you didn't lose any, man. I have never seen drop off like that. Melbourne's cold, but it's not Canberra cold. <laughs> no. no, no, we did really well. We um, we had 32 registered players. I only lost two in the last week. So I had uh, 30 starters um, nice. for Wintercon, which is great. Yeah, man, that's a great number for an event, too. You get uh, just enough, you know variation so you get some great uh different options on the tabletop as far as people's yep. armies um you usually get a nice spread for best painted you get some great personalities it's not that you don't in smaller events but in the larger events there's just that that little extra hype um and it the pictures looked awesome man so uh tell us about the event because it was a little uh left of center as far as bolt action events go yeah well um, for those of you who may have 
um, heard me before talking about WinterCon. I like to, so I run two events a year. I run CanCon, which is the big one. Oh, yeah. Um, which is around about 70-ish players at the moment. Um, and then I run WinterCon, as you say. It's about six months out from CanCon. Mm-hmm. And I like to do something a little bit different um, just to keep things fresh and interesting. So uh, this year, um, WinterCon's a two-day event, five games. And what we did was what I was calling a de-escalation event. So nice. what we did, we started five games, started at 12.50, um, went down to 1,000, went down to 7.50 for day one. Then day two, we did 1,500. So, you know, a wide, pretty wide spread of um, not only game types, but also the types of armies people had to bring for those uh, points levels. Oh, God, as a TO, that makes my head hurt. How many lists I'd have to check? Yeah, that yeah that uh, when the list started to come in, I thought, uh, what have I done? But um, you know, we got through it, and you know, it's I thought it was an interesting way to test people's skills. So, mm. what I did was, as I say, you had to submit four lists, um, starting with your five hundred point list, but your five hundred points had to stay the same throughout. So, whatever you took for the five hundred, you had to take at every other level as well. You could mm-hmm. you could add stuff to it, but you couldn't sub tracked or change your original 500 point list so that kind of um gave people a bit of a challenge mm-hmm. um but also as i say i was uh looking to test people who wanted to bring big stuff at 1250 but also you know give people who like some of those smaller bespoke armies so like the partisans mm-hmm. um a bit of a chance with some smaller games and look by and large it seemed to work pretty well people seem to enjoy the challenge um we had a last-minute dropout on the Friday, on the Sunday, so I got to play the 500-point game, which was a complete blast. And um, nice. yeah, most people seem to enjoy the the challenge of listing at various levels and then um, playing those lists. That's awesome, man. And oh god, so often when I play in a long, you know, bolt action events are draining. We've talked about that on this podcast and in other podcasts yeah. before. Um, it's a draining game because it is so cinematic and because you're constantly pulling order dice. It's not you go, I go. It's not like, um, you know, a, like a game like Warhammer 40,000 where literally I had opponents who would go out for cigarette breaks during my turn. Um, and they would be like, just ask the guy. If you need to roll a, like a run roll or something, the guy at the table next door, just have him watch the roll. It's cool. We don't mind. You know, these were in like top tables and, you know, people taking it very seriously, but you could literally like just unplug and tune out for a while. Um, And bolt action, you just can't do that. Uh, And I think that makes for a really fun and interactive game. Um, I like Star Wars Legion for doing similar things um, and other games like it. But man, it makes for a long event. Um, you're constantly on your toes. You're constantly thinking. And so when you're running events, uh, sorry, running games at like 1,250 points for like four to five to six games over the course of the weekend, man, my brain hurts. There's too many toys, too many things going on. Um, and I love it. And it's a wonderful tired you get at the end. But sometimes I just wish it was smaller. So I love this idea of the de-escalation. And from the players that I talked to, and I've talked to three so far, everyone's loved the idea. They just think it was great. Um, was the feedback you got on the day and afterwards similar? Yeah, it was um, overall, I think, generally positive. There was, um, I, you know, I'd, I'd have to, the 750-point game I ran 
um, one of your scenarios, Nuts, and also oh, the, nice. uh, for the 500-point game, I ran your Kitty Hawk Down scenario. Oh, very nice. So, yeah, so thanks for those. But, um, Anytime. It was, uh, I think the 750-point game was a bit of a brain burner because obviously, as you know, Nuts, you've got five mm-hmm. objectives, and so it was... Well, with only 750 points of men, like how do I how do I cover five objectives? And so, I think some people found that a bit challenging, and some people enjoyed the challenge. Some people would have just preferred more units to cover more objectives. But yeah, look, the 500 points and Kitty Hawk Down worked really well. Everyone seemed to enjoy that, and uh, it sort of flew by really fast and very cinematic with people just going crazy um, against each other. And so, yeah, look, by and large, the feedback was positive and i definitely think about doing it again um and perhaps looking a little bit more at how what scenarios worked well at what points value yeah. and whether whether i needed to rejig that a little bit yeah i mean as you say that five objective uh that works really well or at least i think it works well and it was written for a thousand points or bigger um but i've run it at 900 points and 800 points and it's worked um people sometimes don't bring the troops um, back and God, this I'm so someone asked me the other day, how do you write a good bolt action list? Um, and this is a little off topic, but related. Um, and I said, I actually haven't sat down and written a proper army list, um, since I played in CanCon last, which may have been three years ago. Um, when I play in events, I typically open a case, pull out what I have, um, and literally when I play friendlies, I, I pull out the models, put it down, add up the points of what's there, and then I go, oh, okay, I'll just drop a rifleman or add an SMG. Um, I don't put a lot of thought into my lists, but someone asked me the other day if I was to play in your de-escalation event, because we were talking about uh, the event, and what I would have done for the 500 points. And I remembered back to when I used to spend a lot of time listing and thinking and, you know, crunching the the meta or, you know, caring about that. And I reckon what I always started with was, because I always used to run um, five squads of eight regs when I first started playing the game, and that's 400 points, um, and a lieutenant, and then, you know, a couple LMGs or some SMGs or an LMG and some SMGs. Ta-da! 500 points. Um, And, you know, people... I don't think everyone would have thought that, you know, oh, now deal with 40 infantry or 42 or whatever. Um, How how did people tackle the the 500 points? Because I know friend of the show, Patch, took an 88 in his 500 points. (laughs) Look... uh it was interesting the way people um, tackled the event. I mean, a lot of well, the lists were pretty good. Um, we got a good spread. Um, for example, we had two tigers and a king tiger at the twelve hundred and fifty point mark. And nice. in fact, I think we still had two of the king tigers at um, a thousand points. So um, people were doing, you know, um, fun things with the list. Uh, mm-hmm. There weren't too many taking it overly seriously, but um, there. A lot of people were very fixated on the 500-point list, in part because it had to be your core list. You had to keep using it mm. over and over again. Um, but, yeah, no, a lot of people really seem to obsess over those 500 points. You know, what can I fit in? What What is going to work at 500 points? Um, and so, look, the majority of the lists were five-dice lists. Um, most people, because they were going to be a core of your 
four seem to go for a couple of um, uh, veteran squads or big squads mm-hmm. and maybe one or two support units and an officer. Um, the biggest list at 500 points was a partisan list, which was 10 dice. Um, wow. And, but, look, that was part of the fun, the idea that, you know, partisans at 1250 points generally get their ass handed to them. Yeah, because, not great. Uh, <laughs> it's not great. You've just got a whole bunch of infantry and, and um, inexperienced support. So, mm-hmm. you know, at 750 points and 500 points, he did well, not surprisingly. And, you know, it gives people who often at 1,000 points or 1,250 points feel they're behind the eight ball a bit mm-hmm. of a chance to have a fun game and a, a, be in a stronger position with what is generally considered, I guess, a weaker force at those lower points levels. Now, did you did you hear any grumbling or people talking about um, armies that give you free stuff? Like uh, the the obvious pop to mind is the yes. Soviet Free Squad, the yep. Chinese Free Squad, or the British um, Artillery Observer. I know in the past when we've talked about running smaller events, people have talked about how those um, quote unquote. Um, they make it not a fair playing field. Um, did yeah. you find that that was the case, or did it sort of all come out in the wash? No, so I actually, um, at 500 points and 750 points, um, did a bit of nerfing of ah. uh, that. So what I said was that if you want to take a free unit, it has to be minimum size and it has to be inexperienced and it can have no upgrades. So if you want, so for example, if the Russians took their free rifle squad, it had to be inexperienced. It had to only have five men in it, and you couldn't take the anti-tank grenades. Oh, okay. And I, so, and for example, a British artillery observer, you could take it, but it had to be inexperienced. So, for your fire roll, you then were taking a minus one. So, so, so if people, for example, say they wanted at a thousand points to have the regular RD observer, could would they just not include that in the five hundred point list? Well. It, um, Did I misunderstand? Could, and, Sorry. No, no, no. So what I said was that I'm nerfing it at 5750, but when we get to 1000 and 1250, all bets are off. It's just back to normal. Okay, that makes sense. Um, Got it with you. So Sorry. It was just for those lower level points list. And yep. so if you're taking the free unit, it was nerfed. And if, if you weren't taking the free unit, but you were looking at your national special rules, you could only nominate one national rule to take with your 550-point force. So, for example, if you were talking about Germans, you could take the officer special rule um, with the with the uh, the snap to order, the extra snap to order, mm-hmm. or you could take Hitler's buzzsaw. But oh, you nice. be using them both. Very nice. So, basically, everyone sort of got one uh, one advantage, and they could pick what it was. Oh, that's clever. I like it. Because in a smaller point game, I mean, it's not a full platoon. We're talking, you know, a handful of squads and maybe a support piece. Um, but yep. it's a very small army. And that, I mean, that I think that really does help level the playing field. Yeah, I, I think it worked pretty well. I didn't have anyone uh, say that they felt that they were a disadvantage because of national special rules. There were many people felt they were a disadvantage because they could only take 500 points. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I do kind of bathe in the uh, tears of players sometimes. Uh, my most recent <laughs> event was uh, 1,111 points, and the amount of belly aching I got about that, and I was like, come on, man. It's just, this is the point value. It's the same thing as 1,000 points, just a couple more. 
Yeah, they didn't get too much sympathy from me, I must admit. Yeah, oh, that's all right. It's all fun and games. Um, Literally, in fact. Uh, Well, right on. Um, Well, okay, so you ran five games, and as you said, you went through it all. Um, Any big takeaways? Because sometimes when you look at these events, you start to notice a trend. Um, I listened to another podcast the other day, the Bacon Burgers, and they were talking about um, playing in Operation Bear and how they thought um, the meta was shifting towards armored units. I think in that case, in my case, it was because I sort of forced people into a one one platoon at one thousand one hundred and eleven points, and I could give them. You could add one other thing, and so the natural thing for a lot of people to add was, well, I'll just take two tanks. Um, and so I think for that event, um, I expected a lot of armor and man, did I get it. Um, did you see that, um, given that you were running a de-escalation, um, did you sort of feel like, I mean, you mentioned some big tanks, but did you sort of have this trend towards sort of lots of armor, AT being more valuable than ever? What do you, what did you see? Um, look, I'd be. I think that there's a grain of truth to that. I think over CanCon and WinterCon, I've seen more armored transport. That's for sure. I mm. think you know. I was. I was actually quite surprised that we we're still seeing half tracks at 750, and in some lists, 500 points. Wow. I mean, you know, a couple of years ago, half tracks have been completely written off as being not worth the money. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's fair to say that armored transport is making a bit of a comeback. I think that's partly the the rule about you know in version two you don't have to pay for the gunner you get a you get mm-hmm. at least one crew a crew weapon free um i think that there's you know certainly people are realizing the value of an armored transport to get troops up the board and mm-hmm. get them engaged um so yeah that's definitely a trend i think um the other thing though is that i think i said to you after cancon and saw it again i'm just seeing more new players come into the game i mean there was at least half a dozen players at um uh, wintercon who had not played an event before and some of them only played a handful of um bolt action games Mm. before so just continuing to see this trend of um a pretty steady flow of new people coming into bolt action and picking up the game which is just it's really great to see it It is you know that this game has longevity and i can see this you know um, continuing to grow and develop into the future, that this is not something that's dying. I had a few concerns when version 2 launched. There was a bit of a drop-off of certainly some of the old guard mm-hmm. um, who didn't make the transition. And um, I'm you know happy to say that I'm, I'm certainly seeing fresh people come into the game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've seen the same sort of thing in Melbourne. Tons of new players. Uh, it's really nice for me, um, and I've mentioned this before, that it's a lot of old wargaming buddies from other game systems um, that are coming over. Um, a lot of 40,000, Warhammer 40,000 players, a lot of Malifaux players, um, just friends I had from other game systems that are now showing up and uh, bolt action events. And they're, man, they're bringing some hobby A game. Um, yeah. And they're coming with a really nice casual attitude. Um, I know for a while people referred to people who came from 40K as like dirty 40K players or, you know, <laughs> awful competitive. Uh, I mean, it was it was it was a spit like people would like sort of say like 40K and spit at the same time. And believe me, I get it. I've walked by a lot of 
big events, especially at like CanCon, where you walk by the 40K and sometimes, usually the right before it died and turned into Age of Sigmar, fantasy events, and man, no one's smiling. No one's having yeah. a good time. It's, I mean, people are taking it seriously, but also, man, it's just, it's just not the atmosphere I'm interested in playing in. Um, yeah. But these days, the folks that we're getting... I think aren't interested in that. They're interested in what they're seeing at CanCon, what they're seeing at these events, or what we're seeing on Facebook, or they've heard about this game, Bolt Action, that's written by the people who did 40K, um, and is a nod back to the old days. And um, I think just it's just a lot of fun. Um, would you agree? Yeah, no, I think that that's very true. I think that um, we're starting to, you know, people are starting to come in because seeing games played. But I think the other factor, and, you know, I, I hate to live in a glass house and throw stones, but certainly one of the factors we're seeing is the um, collapse of um, Flames of War version 4 is um, driving yeah. some people in our direction. Um, it just doesn't seem to have caught on. So uh, we're getting a number of, you know, sort of World War II players looking for that fix yeah. uh, somewhere else at the moment because the community's sort of quite divided and uh, they're just looking for something that's fun and relaxed and mm -hmm. low stress. Yeah, exactly. I've definitely noticed that as well. Um, I just, I, I've just... I just I I've seen a lot of people throw shade at people coming in from other game systems. Flames of War is another one um, where people like play hard, like but and oh, well, we don't do that in bolt action. And yet, the worst, quote unquote, worst, the most competitive players that I've seen are the people who care most about everything. Are the old one, the old guard of bolt action in some cases, um, <laughs> and then the people who are coming in have these really positive, wonderful attitudes. So uh, I think uh, I think there's a lot to learn from the new players coming in, and I think rather than you know oh this is how you do it let me put my arm around you and tell you what how to play this game son let me do that I think you know I think we go arm in arm into the future. Um, that's my editorial note for today. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I think that um, uh, it's great to see, as I say, I, you know, I'm I'm glad to see that there is a, a long-term future for Bolt Action with yeah. new people coming to it. And, um, you know, the old guard has just got to be welcoming because it's only good for us in the long term that, you know, the more people there are, the more um, tournaments, the more opponents, the more events, and a more vibrant community. Amen, brother. I... Couldn't have said it better myself. All right. Well, uh, I think we would be remiss if we didn't get back to the actual event that you TO'd. Um, now, as we've mentioned his name several times, um, our old buddy Patch did walk away with the trophy, didn't he? Yes, he he did indeed. Um, and well-deserved. He full, produced another uh, brilliantly painted army. And as I say every time, I was not the judge. It was a, a judge by the players on yeah. the day. So, um, you know, it, it's absolutely uh, what, uh, you know, people thought that he'd done a brilliant job and, and I can only agree in um, awarding him the uh, best painted. Yeah. Oh, my God, it looks so good. I, of course, I've only seen pictures because I wasn't there and I haven't been in Canberra recently, but wow. I mean, Patch's stuff is always good, but, oh, God, his desert stuff in particular, he's just yeah. got that... That that it just pops on the tabletop, so good. Yeah, um, and look, yeah. Sorry. Not to drag our conversation backwards, I, you know. Oh the yeah, other please thing go ahead. Is that 
uh, many of the new players, you know, some of the new players were bringing absolutely stunning painted armies as well. Right. So it's not just yeah. it's not just new players showing up with primed figures and going, oh, how do you play this game? I mean, yeah. these are these are people who have really made a commitment to bolt action and just painted up some absolutely lovely armies. Um, uh, we had a new player from Sydney produce a uh, German Fallschirmjäger slash um, Luftwaffe field force army. So cool. uh, absolutely stunning. Um, you know, really amazing stuff. And many of the new players were bringing, you know, well-painted armies. There was, as I say, no one was showing up with, you know, not only priming or three colors and saying that's good enough. It was um, everyone made an effort. Yeah. And that's something I've seen as well. Um, I know I talked about some of the old guard from other game systems coming in to play bolt action for the first time. But um, I mean, for the first time ever at Operation Bear, we had I've never seen so many different votes for so many different players. Um, The voting was spread across nine people, whereas normally you see three or four. Um, I mean, albeit I also had a player pool of about 30, um, 30 on the nose, but it was, I mean, usually it's, you know, a couple of folks and then some smattering, but it was, it was, there was so many quality armies um, and some that, you know, obviously stood out and other ones, as I've talked about before, that kind of blended into the tabletop. But because there were so many great photos taken on the day, um, of all people, Warlord Games noticed. Um, and at least two armies from Operation Bear will be um, appearing on their website. Um, and those the two armies that they asked about and they wanted to talk to the players for are brand new to bolt action. That's sensational to me. It's just wonderful yeah, that we're getting that level of quality from new players bringing it in. It just, it just, it makes events look so good on the tabletop. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Patch had a couple of people breathing down his neck. I mean, he he uh, absolutely deserved to win, but um, he's going to have to keep lift, going to have to keep his game strong if he's going to stay ahead yeah. of um, some of these new people, which is great. It pushes us all. Um, but look, it was as you say, great day. Patch took out best painted. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as, uh, well, let's, let's talk about a man with another beautiful army not, that isn't Patch, um, who took home a lot of other trophies. Um, who was also at Operation Bear. Uh, yeah, I'll let you do the honors. Yeah, look, the event was uh, best general and best allied general was taken out by uh, Chris McKinnos. Yes, um, who's well known to the Australian bolt action community. A Great player, great painter. Yeah. Um, he, you know, really makes an effort to get to a lot of events. And, um, uh, you know, it was great. He did a great job on the day. Had a nice, his, his winter-themed army, which he'd um, refreshed um, with a bunch of new units. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it looked lovely on the table. And uh, he did a good job in taking out the event. Yeah. Oh, so, okay. So he took best access. So who took best allied? Uh, um Local boy, Jason Litchfield, um, oh, yeah. has been at a number of bolt action events. He's been a player for a while. Um, he was rocking a LRDG army. Um, some of some people will have seen his army, which was also at CanCon. Mm. Um, lovely LRDG trucks. Um, so uh, not surprisingly, a LRDG army did well at 500 points and 750 points. <laughs> yeah. uh, trucks mm. with machine guns do well at low point values. Yep. <laughs> Who would have thunk? But not known. Not not to take anything away from him, he held his own at uh, 1,250 points against yeah. um, King Tigers. So, you know, I uh, take nothing away from him. Um, he did a great job in taking out Best Allied. And um, so and 
Aussie, Aussie, Aussie took out uh, best minor power. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eden Jamison, another another well-known player in the bolt action community, yep. um, with his Aussies took out uh, third place. So that uh, took out best minor power general. Sorry, nice. Um, so that was really nice. Three quite very different armies. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Chris, as I say, was I guess a, a, a very much a, a, a solid German army with armor and. Um, Big infantry units. Um, Jason, um, completely opposite. Lots of light trucks and, mm-hmm. and small veterans. And um, the Aussie army was a very much a jungle army. Um, I'm trying to remember. I don't. Might have had a, a Matilda at 1250 points, but otherwise was pretty much um, infantry. So mm-hmm. uh, three very different armies, three very different style play, uh, styles of play, and um, three great players who did well. Yeah, man. And I think that speaks volumes about the game and the community that we're seeing not just one thing, um, that we're getting that that spread. Um, players are able to sort of match armies to their play style. I know Jason is an incredibly talented general, um, having seen him across the tabletop a couple times. I'm not having played him, but having watched him. Damn, he's good. Um, but I think that LRDG uh, absolutely matches his preferred play style and man he's good with it um and he's been doing it a while so i mean and again chris knows his late war germans in and out and uh, i'm not sure how long eden's been playing with those aussies but again to see that 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 breadth of um types of armies and just yeah it's just great yeah no it was a it was a a good day um we had 14 Axis and 16 Allied armies. There was no real heavy skewing one way or another. Mm. Um, I suppose the only thing was there were probably a reduced number of uh, minor power armies. That's probably just because Patch didn't run French. Um, <laughs> yep. And uh, we had three Japanese armies on the day, which is great. Nice. Haven't seen Japanese in a while. So it was a really good mix. And, and no Italians. Sort of... A friend of mine was playing Italians. Yeah had two Italian armies as well. So, um, yeah, no, it was a really great day and um, really diverse mix of armies, different play styles, and um, most people had fun, although sometimes diverse armies and diverse play styles mean you get matchups where yeah. it's one person's play style runs into a brick wall against another person's play style. But, you know, yeah. that's just the way it goes at tournaments at times. I don't know what you mean. I've never run my army smack dab into a brick wall. I've, I, I think his name's Brian Cook. I think... Uh... <laughs> Still having that game memory, Brian. Uh, yeah. Still burns. Four years later, still hurts. First round CanCon. Sucked. Yep. Anyway. Yeah. T- uh, yeah. I think that was the last time I was uh, tabled in bolt action. Maybe I've been tabled since. I've definitely been tabled once since. But, uh, yeah, that was the worst uh, ass kicking I think I've received on a tabletop perhaps ever um maybe not ever i I do remember dave of war destroying me in many game systems but uh yeah ouch um and it was just uh the right army on the right table at the right time and you just shrug and go well bolt action happened didn't it yep um and i guess just i guess close this off before we move on to many other Mm, interesting topics um i do have to give a big thank you to uh our sponsors um War and Peace, as always, was there, guys. was great, um, provided a bunch of stuff and uh, absolutely can't do it without them. Mm-hmm. Um, wartime Minis, um, love their Japanese. Um, after your yeah. recent podcast about uh, 
those Japanese suicide squads. I um, mm-hmm. uh, went out and um, went to wartime minis and got myself a couple of Japanese SMG and suicide anti-tank squads and uh, looking very seriously at uh, some of the those raiding forces. Um, I think you've... Uh, you started me down another evil path. Oh, I don't um, ever do that. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, dice of War. Absolutely love their dice. Amen. And um, new friends of uh, Bolt Action Canberra, Laser Shark Design. So big thanks to everyone who helped us out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Michael, who runs Laser Sharks, an old uh, friend, and he did. So I had custom objective markers made for my event. Uh, very inexpensively too. So if you're if you're planning to run an event in Australia and you want some custom swag for your players, man, talk to Mike at Laser Shark. Dude knows what he's doing. It's good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, he's great, and it's such a nice guy. Anyway, love him. Great stuff. Um, now, 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 I think it is time for us to take a hard left and talk about this this void of uh, the games that you and I are falling into. <laughs> oh, it hurts. It burns. Uh, so I, my, my just, wallet's feeling the pain. <laughs> amen to that. Um, so I had school holidays a couple weekends ago, or a couple weeks ago, and uh, my big plan was to paint uh, a bolt-action army and finish an Age of Sigmar army. Um, I got into this awful ADHD uh, fueled um, every day I did another army and I worked on stuff. So by the end of the holidays, I don't think I feel like I did anything. Um, but I, I literally got into this spiral of today. I'm going to do this. Oh, I don't feel like doing that now. I'm going to do this. And I'm not going to feel like doing that. So in the end, I didn't get anything done. And I think it's just symptomatic of how many awesome games there are right now. Um so, God, man, I could talk all day about any of them. Please pull, take your hand, put it in the hat. Let's pull something out. Talk to me, Peter. <laughs> what do you want to talk about? Well, I think to start off with, I, I have to admit to the same ADHD problem you have. I've got a um, my work hobby bench is lined up with um, uh, five different projects at the yeah. moment, and I'm sort of painting a little bit of all of them. But um, so. Um, Patch has got me into Blood and Plunder, so I've got a bunch oh, of pirates how sitting good, here. right? <laughs> I got another friend who's uh, tr- uh, getting me into the Men Who Would Be Kings, so got a bit of colonial mm-hmm. stuff going. Um, I've got uh, Eureka's Mad Maximilian Thirty Four, so some mad car action going in Twenty Eight Mill. And uh, the last two, I think we might talk about in a little more detail. Ooh, yeah. I've got. Uh, uh, some Conflict 47 stuff on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sort of starting out with the U.S. Army. And um, uh, Strontium Dog is the latest addition to the queue. All um, right. Well, shall we do last first and first last then? That sounds uh, great. Let's talk about the dog because, okay, I oh, I love Warlord Games. I do. Let me start by saying that. I mean, clearly, I help do their podcast. Clearly, I'm a fan. However... Some of their games, I, I just don't have enough time to play. I look at them and go, I, I don't, I, I would, I love Doctor Who. I'm not going to play this game. I don't have time. Um, I own Test of Honor. I'm going to play it. But because I bought that, I didn't buy um, Blood Red Skies. I just, I just couldn't do it. So when they came out with Strong Team Dog, the 2000 AD game, based on the comics in the 80s that I was, you know, my friends were such a fan of that I read tons of. 
um, dread that is, not strontium dog. I went, God, if this was dread, I would buy it. If it's strontium dog, I, I have to say no. I have to put it away. And then I got a care package in the mail that contained some strontium dog that I then bought into. Wow. And I'm, God, I'm glad I did. Um, I interviewed the authors of the game, Gav Thorpe and Andy Chambers, the other day. And um, that episode of the Warlord cast is coming out hopefully next week. Um, If you listen to that episode and you listen to the time and the effort and the love they have of the comic book that they transferred into this game, and these are heavyweights in the gaming industry. I mean, Warlord didn't get some dude off the street to to write something <laughs> on the back of a napkin. Incidentally, that is how uh, <clears throat> Fantasy Battle happened. Anyway, um, <laughs> they didn't... Like, they hired serious game authors, and not just one of them, two of them, brought them in and said, look, we want this. What can you do for us? And those guys, and it was a long drawn out process and they brainstormed and they came up with a system and man i'm glad i got it um i haven't played it yet but reading it god it looks good um what do you think pete yeah i think that uh absolutely in the same boat i mean i'm i'm a man of a certain age um Mm. you know in australia so you know uh, very heavily english influence and Mm -hmm. so yeah i was a 2000 ad kid um you know, like you, I must admit, Dread was probably my first love, and um, yeah. But I can understand why they didn't go back to the well at the Dread well at this point. So, yeah. um, it's a, it's a bit tainted right now. So you know, yeah. Um, um, Rogue Trooper probably would have been my second choice, but um, so Strong Team Dog was a bit of a third. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I'm in the same boat. I'm glad I bought into it. Uh, the rules are you know, really, uh, tight and, um, I haven't played them yet, but, uh, uh, I'll definitely, they look good and look really, the figures are absolutely stunning. Like they've really done a great job on the figures. Um, I just, I had seen a bit of, um, concern on the nets about the figures. There's Mm -hmm. a little bit of, um, um, well, hating on the figures to be honest. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, bit of the old school people who were used to the old foundry figures had a bit of a, you know, yeah. um, uh, historical attachment, but like, open up the figures, absolutely amazing sculpts. And the casting is some of the most crisp, clean metal figures I have ever seen. They're absolutely mouthwatering. Exactly. Right. And the way they're sculpted is really clever. Um, you uh, having spent a million years assembling models on school holidays recently and not accomplishing anything to open the strontium dog box and blisters and to look at the models. They are one and two piece. Now, normally when you look at that, you would go, eh, one or two piece, um, you know, uh, you know, it's there's not the range of movement. It's not great, but they're really cleverly put together. And as you say, the casting, good God. I mean, I, I literally don't think I've ever opened a blister of metal models and seen casting that good. Um, it, uh, I'm a mold line fanatic and three of my models are going to take a little bit of time. The rest of them, perfect out of the box. I have never opened a box of metal miniatures that are ready to go, ever. 
ever. And these are. I'm astonished at the quality. Um, I, or is your box the same way? Did I just happen to get the yeah. first like no, no, one no, out of the no, queue? Absolutely. Um, such clean and crisp casting. It's amazing. I'm less concerned about mold lines. So I'm actually just going to stick these guys on a base. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I, right? I'm not going to do anything to them, to be honest. They're, they're so good. Um, the, and the other thing is um, they just – so they, they go together I'm, – sorry, the, the bits that are two-piece, they go together really easily. Um, yeah. Everything sort of slides into place. They look great on the tabletop. Um, and when you go to paint them, I should say. But when you, you look at the aesthetic – and I've had some people complain about the aesthetic, but since finding out Strontium Dog was coming um, and being a fan of 2080s sort of thumbing the nose at authority, like 80s punk sort of aesthetic, um, tongue-in-cheek sort of humor about things, um, I went back and I've been reading some. And I got an, once I had an eye for the way it's drawn and the aesthetic of the book itself... And then I went back to the models. They, it's like they walk off the page. They, they really did a fantastic job of matching the art style of the comic, which if you are a fan of Strontium Dog, you, you got to love, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I've just, uh, as I say, Strontium Dog was one of the comics, I guess I didn't pay a lot of attention to in my youth. So I've just gone back and, got the first three omnibuses and worked my way through those. And I'm just about to pick up the last one, but you're right. The, the, the sculpting is literally absolutely what, what was in the comic. Um, it is if they have done some sort of three dimensional version of what was on the page yeah. and the, you know, the poses, the um, even, you know, the expressions and the way they've, um, you know, stand and mm -hmm. it's just absolutely hundred percent all about what was in the comic. And I guess that, you know, I'm sure reflects what you found in the interview with the authors that these guys are really, um, absolutely love the, love the comics. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, do they want to, they obviously clearly want to do the best job they can with the um, universe. They really did. And when I was talking to them, um, both off air and on, they kept, back referencing comics and it wasn't like oh yeah um so um you know we were given something and we read it and then blah they were like oh yeah and i remember when this happened and oh yeah and then this thing happened over there and it was i remember when johnny and wolf went back to hell and when they found hitler and you know they and they went into really obscure details about the things they liked as a kid and you were like yes these are the these are the people they have the skill set to write the rules and they have the personal passion for the project to make it work. And man, do they, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and look, you know, I said that uh, I was a little surprised that they chose Strontium Dog as the first property yeah. to use. But I think that it's actually going to turn out to be quite a wise choice. I mean, for two reasons. One is that it is a small game. Like, you, you and I both said at the beginning we've got no time for new games or mm -hmm. to paint new figures but like when you're talking about four five maybe a maximum of eight nine figures yeah like who, who doesn't have time to fit that in somewhere like just quickly you know paint up a few figures and you're good to go and i think that that's going to work to their advantage they can you know, people will pick it up. They will fit it in between other stuff, and just because of the quality of the game, and it looks really interesting. And um, I think it'll it'll work for them. 
Yeah. Well, let's talk about the game itself because we can talk about how great. I mean, and I agree. I think you don't. You need a handful of models, and you're ready to go. Um, and again, you don't have to spend a lot of time cleaning and assembling them. You literally stick them on a base. You paint them. You're ready to go. Um, so the rules themselves. Um, as we talked about before, you and I both don't necessarily love a you-go-I-go system. We like a game with a little bit of, uh, you know, you're not sure about who's going next. Um, and this delivers, doesn't it? Yep, absolutely. Um, drawing chits. Just like, um, just, yeah, exactly. Like order dice from Bolt Action, except there's multiple types of chits. And yes, and that is what makes it really cool. Do you want to explain that, or uh, do you want me to? No, no, you, you, you go. Okay, so there's basic chits. Every unit in the game, or every model in the game in this case, because it is a skirmish game, um, gets a chit that you put in your bag and you pull out, just like bolt action. So if you're familiar with that, totally cool. Now, um, certain characters, like special characters, like, uh, like uh, Johnny, for example... The, the main character, the Strontium dog, gets a special kind of chit. And it's not just him. There's certain characters that get these. And, God, it, I, the name escapes me, but it's a chit with a star on it. And you put it in the bag, and you can activate them, but then you can have a chance of having it go back in the bag. Um, yeah, they're called star chips. So I, I'm still getting my head around the mechanics, but they, the, the idea is um, it is possible to keep going. Now, the, uh, this is kind of a little bit like elite units in Conflict 47 that can activate a second time. Except these can keep activating. And I think there's a cute quote in the rules that I remember reading last night about you can keep going until um, you know, the sun reaches you know, heat death. Um, <laughs> like You can keep going forever. But it, it gets harder to keep that up, and the more you do stuff, the more likely you're kind of going to be sort of drawn out um, and out of position, and that's when the other player's going to lay it on you. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really interesting thing they've done. I mean, I suppose it's worth saying that the game uses custom dice. It's not D6s. Yeah. Um, so uh, what happens is that when you draw one of these star chits and play it, um, you roll one of these, one or a number actually, these custom dice depending mm. on the cool rating of your character and you have to have what is essentially the 2000 AD symbol come up which is called the special um, and there's a one in six chance, it's on one side of the dice so there's a one in six chance on every dice in getting that and if it comes up you put it back in the bag. But the interesting thing is although the, you get the star chit because you know say you've got um, the strontium dog, Johnny, um, when you pull it out of the bag, you can actually use it to play any character you want. So it's That's not that you right. have to keep playing Johnny over and over again. You can actually um, use that same star chit to play any character you want. And the you know the fluff is that it's about having good leadership on the field. It's not about the same character doing everything. It's about your boss or leader or key characters you know directing the action and making things happen. That's right. And there is a price of failure. Uh, I'm just going to read this yep. little section here. Uh, failing the cool test to uh, to return a star chip to the bag comes at a price, however. Not only is the star chip left in place to indicate that the model cannot activate again this turn, so you can't use someone else's star chip on it, 
but it also gains the pin marker to indicate it's overextended in somewhat precarious status. Uh, and then you can find out what pin means. But yeah, you disadvantage yourself if you try and pull this off and you fail. Um, which is, you know, especially with the dice that have the symbols on them rather than numbers. Um, from having played FFG games recently, it really does make that cinematic experience um, where, you know, by looking for pictures of how many hits you get or what symbol you're looking for, in a way, you're not doing Math Hammer. Um, does that make sense? It, it, so yeah. it really does create this, this sort of fun cinematic experience on the tabletop. Yeah, and it's a great balancing mechanism too because the, those people who, those minis that are getting star chits have got a decent cool rating, which is what you're rolling against. Um, so, you know, a small number of uh, very you know, uh, senior or important models like mm-hmm. Johnny Wolf um, are probably going to pretty good chance of going to rolling several times um, versus a, you know, a gang of um, low, t- you know, uh, uh, low status criminals who mm-hmm. are probably, who don't get a start yet. They're just going to move once. So you could have a lot of those, but they're pro- there's probably still going to be at a disadvantage against someone like Johnny. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, so let's go beyond that. So beyond the chits um, the, and pulling chits to create activations, um, what else do you like about this game? Um, well, look, I, I, I think you have to go and, and have a look at the flexibility in terms of it's got a great, I know I'm sort of jumping to the end, um, but mm. you know, that it's about the universe that you're playing in yeah. and it's got a great, um, um, scenario generator or um, a job generator as it's called because obviously you're getting um, uh, uh, jobs as a um, bounty hunter mm-hmm. um, and as a great campaign system as well um, and it's got some really interesting things to add variety to a game that I haven't seen in Warlord games before so there's two sets of cards um, mm-hmm. one one around weapons and one around I guess uh, just sort of lucky random events and dirty tricks, um, chicanery. Dirty tricks. I had to yeah, actually ask it, my yeah. wife how to pronounce that because um, that's not <laughs> really an American word, and that my wife's British. And I said, uh, "So, wh- how, how do you say this?" Uh, and yeah, chicanery. So yeah, but but you know, dirty download, dirty tricks. So you have these upgrades that you can add um, equipment wise. But you can also uh, get like these low-down, dirty tricks that, um, or just random events that happen on the tabletop. I mean, they're they're not constant. Um, like you can't use them all the time. And I don't. I mean, some of them seem pretty powerful. Um, but there, everyone has access to them, um, and it, it just seems. Again, it, it this is definitely written for the comic people who love the comic, and every you can just imagine. Um, in the Warlord episode where I talked to the guys, there's one of them that says, like, playing dead is, I think, one of the chicanery cards. And they were yeah. talking about how in one of the comic books, um, Wolf and Johnny are walking down this street in this city that has been sort of turned into this um, death arena. And they walk past a dead alien that's been strung upside down to a light pole. And when they walk by it, um, it's playing dead and it pops up an arm and shoots them. And they're like, and in the game, that would be represented with this chicanery card. And you go, 
that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's also, um, as part of the scenario generation, you get extra money to buy last-minute additions to your force mm-hmm. or last-minute cards or, you know, just extra things you throw in at the last minute to add that element of random and, um, uh, you know, unknown. Yeah, agreed. And I, it, it's not like some games I get, though, um, that are too random. I, I feel like yep. this game's got random, just the amount of random to be fun and to be interesting, but not enough that it's going to ruin your day if it goes wrong. Yeah, it seems to be it seems to be well balanced randomness, if I could put it that way. Like yeah. you know, you may have a good chicanery card, but your opponent may get, have a good weapons card, or he may have bought some had some extra money at the beginning of the game and bought some extra bodies along to uh, balance things out. So it seems mm. like they've really um, thought through these random elements so that they don't um, create a huge swingy game. They just um, add a bit of fun, and everyone sort of got access to them, and it. It does balance out and at the end of the day. Agreed. And I also like how they, um, though a lot of the game revolves around like named characters, um, if you, and I know some people are going, oh, I don't want to play a game that's all special characters if I wasn't a fan of the universe. Well, there are lots of rules on how to make your own um, yep. and to, to customize weaponry and to, to go, you know, have mutations that you can apply to characters um, that give you benefits and negatives at the same time. So the game really does try and balance itself out to make a fair gameplay experience um, so that people have good, fun games um, without blowing each other off the tabletop, you know, in a lopsided manner, if that makes sense. Um, but they also, for these scenarios, um, some, some of the allies that you can get, they give you, after all of those rules, there's just a couple pages in the back that um, very carefully and clearly give you rules for tons of NPC, like non-player characters um, yep. or just minor mooks who walk around the tabletop that um, you can go, oh, okay, you got a droid? No problem. Here's one. And I just see like a ton of these random models that I've been collecting for years that I thought looked cool. Um, all of a sudden, oh, cool, I can put that on the tabletop. Oh, cool, yeah. th- that works here. Um, and as a, as a man who I know has more random models than anyone else I know, you got to be excited about that. Yeah, no, I really love it. I mean, you know, if you read the Strontium Dog universe, it, it's essentially unbounded. I mean, this yeah. is a universe where they've been to hell. They've been back in time to capture Hitler. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's great to have that character generation because, you know, I'm going to pick up a couple of bolt action figures and you can bet Johnny's going to be going after Hitler one day. Oh, God, um, right. And <laughs> and when you open the rule book and I, you know, I turned to page 26, I literally laughed out loud and did a double take because yep. it has a picture of Johnny walking around the wall and who's on the other side. There's a Hannah mag, uh, a Kuba wagon and a squad of German veterans. And you're going, wait, what? Huh? Um, but then on the page opposite, they have a picture of um, Johnny from the comic book shooting at a Kuba wagon full of Nazis. And you go, ah, there's a reason they they mugged that photo together with, you know, uh, bolt action figures and strontium dog figures because it was in the comic. Cool. Yep. Yeah, that's no, super cool. And as I say, you know, he's been to hell. So what's to stop you from maybe grabbing a few Nurgle demons and... Um, mm-hmm. 
running them. Um, you know, the, there's no, it's essentially unlimited. You can pick up any bunch of figures you have because time travel is a huge part of the Strontium Dog story. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as I say, I'm painting up some figures for men who would be kings. I can put a couple of British colonials um, in there if I want, um, have Johnny going after Queen Victoria, I guess. So it's it's really one of the things that's got me really excited because it's made me think, well, what figures can I use? And right. more importantly, what figures can I buy to... <laughs> Yeah, and there were there was a couple of people who said, "Oh, I'm concerned. Like, oh, this doesn't scale well with anything else. It does scale well with everything else." Um, so one of the first things I did was I pulled out the models and I put them next to regular bolt action models because I yeah. saw that picture in the book and I was like, "Ah, cool. I want to see if this fits." Um, and sure enough, they're just slightly taller, um, yeah. but they're heroes, like heroic scale. Yeah. I don't have any problem once, especially once they're based. They're not going to stick out unbelievably compared to other game systems. It's not going to take me out of my enjoyment of the game. Like, it's not going to ruin my immersion. Um, I think it slots beautifully. And that means that all of the terrain that I have, both for Legion and for Bolt Action, all the other game systems I have, guess what? All of it works. All of it. So good. Yeah, no, absolutely. And who in their right mind is going to argue about what the normal height of a mutant should be anyway? Amen, uh, right? <laughs> uh, and the rules where you get to customize the mutants, I thought that was really cool. And then yeah. I found out Warlord is putting out a pack called Create Your Own Mutant. Um, yep. And you get five models, and it's base bodies, and then there's a pile of bits in it. And I think you put together your own dudes. Yep. No, it's it's... Really, really looks like a lot of fun, and I'm I'm looking forward to playing it. And as I say, I think it's just about perfect in terms of where it's pitched. If it was a game with thirty or forty figures, to be honest, I just I probably wouldn't get to it because yeah. I just don't have time to paint up that many figures at the moment. And but look, I think I can knock out um, four or five figures over the next week. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to start with actually an alternative universe, Johnny. Um, just because uh, I have a good friend in Canberra who's a big Strontium Dog fan, so I'm going to let him have the original Johnny. Um, I'll do a, an alternative universe one. Um, and uh, some of the Sticks brothers, I, I do like the Sticks. They, uh, yeah. they, they, they look pretty cool. Yeah, they look great. And uh, I, when I first looked at the box, I was like, why are they all the same? And then I actually read them, and I was like, oh, my God, they're supposed to be the same. And <laughs> I thought it was like some weird mispack when I opened the box, and then I took a closer look, and I went, oh, no. This is really clever what they did there. Um, and it's just everything, every little element, every little fingerprint that Warlord has on this game uh, is really clever. And, God, I love it. Um yeah, anyway, what else do you like about this? Because I can, I'm sure I could gush about independent rules things all day, but um, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, look, um, it's, look, I'm looking forward to playing it. Uh, yeah, I'll have to say, be yeah. frank and say, it's a pretty crunchy rule system. Um, it's not, um, uh, there's, a, there's a, a, a level of detail in there in terms of, you know, shooting your, um, you know, you're shooting to hit, you're shooting to, uh, uh you then roll, you know, you roll to hit, you roll to dodge, you roll to wound, you roll for results. Yeah. So it, it's a pretty crunchy system. Um, but, you know, when you're only talking four or five models, yeah. um, that's fine. Um, and I think that it, you're going to get that um, effect where you've got someone like Johnny and Wolf in a small group 
who are just going to be incredibly hard to take down. Um, it's going to be one of those games where you're going to be going back and forth uh, over an extended period of time, and it's going to be about those lucky I got you moments where yeah. the dice just all fall in place for you or you wound him and then the next guy comes in and gets him. Um, so it's just, uh, I think, going to be quite an intense but very cinematic game. Agreed. And I, I really like how narrative and mission-driven it is. Yeah. Um, I could not agree more with I would not have touched this with a barge bowl even if I'd you know walked into a free copy if it involved me painting 30 or 40 models. The fact that I have to paint three models or five models, I'm going, oh, yeah, I can do that. Even I can do that. That's not a problem. Um, but, you know, sometimes when you play some games like this... Um, it can be a little grindy when you have like two big super characters walking through a gang of mooks. You go, uh, is this necessarily the most fun thing in the world? You're just hoping for a failed die roll here. But the fact that this is such a, a, a narrative and mission scenario driven game, yep. um, I think really, really sells it. I think that's what really brings it together. Um, because otherwise I, I, if you just played it like, oh, we're just going to beat each other over the head. I think after a couple games, this game might get a little grindy. Um, but by the simple fact that there are so many scenarios and there's so many different mission conditions, um, and it really forces you to, to play interesting. Yeah. I think that the real fun of the game will be, I mean, for the first couple of games, yeah, you'll do a bit of a couple of shootouts, but I think the real fun of the game will be when you get into that campaign. I mean, I'm already thinking about a campaign of, uh, bounties on his figures through history. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I've got a queen Victoria model. I've got a Hitler model. Um, I've maybe pick up one or two others. And I think that that's where you're going to have the real fun where you've got a campaign where you're not just trying to kill each other, but, you know, trying to, you know, be a real bounty hunter and, and mm-hmm. have that be the key part of the story. Yeah. Agreed. I could not agree more. All right. Um, and oh, sorry. I guess I should say this. When I was talking to the authors, um, Andy and Gav did say repeatedly that when they were writing this, they envisioned it um, as a rule set, playing like an old west gunfight almost. Um, and so there's where the nuance lies. Is you know the way that characters interact on the tabletop with terrain, um, shooting at one another. Um, or fighting in hand-to-hand combat, but then chicanery comes in and these gear cards and the scenarios, and it's the, it's the interplay between all those things. But um, I really like the idea, and what really helped me to envision it before I started reading it, and that's why I really want to make sure I say it before we move on, is just that notion of like Old West in space. Um, and that really, when I started reading this, it made, the game made total sense because I'd heard those words. Um, does that make, does that jive with the way you've read this? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I think that, yeah, it's old West with, uh, time displacement weapons. You know, yeah. Just what you expect. Exactly. <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> and I do, there's some really sneaky little things. If you're an old, and I mean old, uh, workshop, uh, fan, the fact that cool is one of the attributes in the game, um, yep. Oh my God! When I I saw that and I that it it sold me on this game right away because you know Rogue Trader old old you know Blood Bowl back when it was cardboard models, um, not miniatures. 
that is one of the character attributes. Just, I, it was my favorite. I loved it. And I, I was sad when it disappeared. And to see it reappear in another game that Andy wrote, I was like, oh my God, it's back. Yes. Um, <laughs> it just, yeah, put a big smile on my dial. And it's funny. I didn't realize I missed it until I opened the book and I saw that. And it just went, <laughs> it, it made my day in a, in a very like nostalgic, silly way. Um, that yeah, It's kind of pathetic. But if you think about it, you know, it's just that little nod to your, to, to way back when that, um, you know, games are doing these days that I really enjoy. Yep. Now, not to steal your thunder, Brad, but uh, yes. I know this is your show, but uh, I'm going to try a bad transition. Do so, it! <laughs> speaking of uh, alternate timelines... Oh, I love it. <laughs> what do you think it defines? <laughs> Nothing like an awkward segue. God, it's the best. Um, I, I, I love this book. Um, I was listening to the Rift Tech Radio guys, um, and in their run up for this, um, they did a great series of episodes. They're still putting them out. Um, big shout out to those guys. I'm a huge fan. They're great. Um, they do great Conflict 47 content. Um, if you are looking for more Conflict 47 and it's not on this podcast, I highly recommend that one. Um, so they said this was the, this was the game expansion that they didn't want until they opened it. And they didn't need, they didn't know they needed, um, if that makes sense. And I'll explain why. There was a lot of flashy things that have been shown through the Conflict 47 Facebook page, a lot of fan requests for different things um, that people were kind of bummed out when some of the contents of this book were dropped. And they went, really? But that isn't what I wanted. Um, this game, this really, this is sort of the third leg of the tripod that brings the game into its own. Um, I feel like Resurgence was necessary to make it its own game. I feel like Defiance truly fleshes it out um, and makes it something special. Um, is that your experience too, Pete? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it is. it fills the last of the gaps, introduces the last of the bits we needed. Yeah. Um, you know, between the three books, and I know the Rift Tech guy said this, so it's not nothing original, but between mm. the three books, you know, you have a complete solid set of rules. Um, and, you know, I'm really happy about that. Um, it all makes sense now. It all comes together. And um, yeah. it, it looks like it, it makes it a really great, solid game. And um, I think from, you know, it lays the foundation for where we go in the future so we they can start going in, I guess, different directions and explore mm -hmm. some of the some of the really alternate sides of this potential conflict, like some of the, the theatres like Iran or Turkey or, and even some of the, I guess, perhaps some of the weirder technology, like where is this rift tech coming from mm -hmm. and what other weird and wonderful things there may well be. But, you know, wherever they go in the future, they've got a really solid game. And I mean, from a player point of view, um, and I suppose also from a TO point of view, it really makes me want to go out there and organise events with this because, you know, everything's there now. Right? I can, with yeah. confidence organize an event and say, you know, got a solid set of rules behind it. I don't have to be making stuff up or trying to plug gaps. Mm -hmm. um, you can just now, and I'm, I'm actually quite keen now to start going out and doing that sort of thing and seeing whether I can start building a bit, bit more of a community around K47, which I have to admit, at least in our local area, has not taken off to a huge degree. There's yeah. a couple of people who've dabbled, but I'd really yeah. like to see it take off as a game. 
I'm lucky enough to have a couple of friends, um, Dave Monroe, um, who's been on the show lots of times in particular, and I really enjoy this game and we like playing it. Um, and it's just, it was fun. And Resurgence, as we said, because before that we were kind of, when we first started, it was like, are we playing Conflict 47 today? Or are we playing Bolt Action version 2.0 with Conflict units? Or are we doing a combination thereof? And it was weird until Resurgence came out. And then the game clicked and it made sense and you could play games and we did and it was fun um what defiance brings to the tabletop which i'm really excited about i mean one of the things that we always talk about in bolt action is theater selectors um people theme their army around a particular force in a particular time in a particular place that's hard to do when you're (laughs) writing you know alternate future uh, or alternate history, I should say. 1947, as if the war never ended, and there's zombies and giant robots and werewolves. So what do I do with that? Science gone crazy. Um, uh, these battles didn't... I mean, some of them are adapted across, um, but some aren't. And so you need to kind of figure out, how am I going to theme my army for this? And so they've given us um, nor- new force selection rules. And each nation, and that's every nation in the game, including the new ones, including Italia, sorry, Italian, Italy, um, Finland, and Japan, all get multiple force selection rules. And what that means is uh, you get, you know how when we make a platoon in bolt action, there's a reinforced platoon? Well, and there's a certain number of units you can take from each type. So you get a certain number of troops, you get a certain number of you know, headquarter or sorry, infantry squads versus maybe lieutenant or mortars or this sort of thing. This very clearly lays out different ways you can set up your platoons to play the game in a themed and fair manner. Would you agree with that? Yeah, no, those, I think those lists are really core to the future of the game. They, as you say, they bring us a, established that K-47 as a separate entity from Bolt Action in terms of, you know, no longer having to rely on that Bolt Action core force structure to make it work. They've given it their own spin, and um, it looks like it's going to make for some really interesting lists. Um, I really like the way they thought about balance, that um, they, in a game like this, where you've got some super powerful units, that I think it'd be all too easy to break any force selection process, but... um, while I haven't had a chance to play all the lists, obviously, um, just from reading through them, it looks like they've given a lot of thought to how you balance it by putting, you know, for example, if you want to build an airborne force, great. You, but you can't take tanks or heavy weapons. Well, you know, there you go. Makes sense. Um, and, uh, you know, as I say, it looks like they've really given a lot of thought and it looks well balanced and it's going gonna, it's gonna to allow people to create some original k47 type armies that use that focus on those bits of the rift tech story that people like whether that be the jump pack falsham jaeger or whether that be um uh soviet bears with heavy armor you know whatever you like exactly and i and it gives us some interesting new things that we haven't even had in bolt action i guess i mean i guess we have some of these things so if we look at I just turned to a random nation. So I turned to the Soviet Union um, force rules. So you get um, the options to make a regular Soviet platoon, which allows you to make either sort of a more regular force or a rift tech force or a combination thereof, um, or 
There's rules for Soviet airborne forces, which is cool, which you don't usually see in bolt action. Um, Soviet guards forces. And again, each one of these is subtly different. Um, and the selection that you can take, you don't get different rules, not like different national rules. They're still Soviets. But the, the combination and the units that you can take in each of these forces really gives it its own character. Um, I, was, I would have hoped when I opened the book, and again, hopes versus what we got, was you know different national rules for each of these forces. But I think this plays better. Um, and then, of course, there's the whole uh, Soviet heavy assault uh, force, which really focuses on like heavy armored guys and armored assault. But how good is that? Yeah, and, and kudos to the to the guys who wrote the rules. Um, they put a lot of thought into it, and I think that you know one of the key things seems to be they've understood that what are they've looked at what are the core strengths of bolt action, and that is that you understand how a uh, an infantry unit works, whether it's a German infantry unit, whether it's a Soviet infantry unit, whether it's a U.S. infantry unit. At the core, the units are essentially, you know conforming to the same rules and you know a bunch of special rules which meant every unit was suddenly different would have i think you know lost some of that and so i like the fact that rather than go down that path where everything is just subtly and slightly tweaked to make it rift tech they've preserved i guess the core strength of bolt action but looked at how how do you give the units flavor through the way they're listed rather than trying to tweak every individual unit Agreed. And a lot of those individual units have their own rules anyway. Um, but uh, the fact that you're not changing your national rules on top of that means there's less chance of interactions that are going to break the game, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And I like just really, I mean, one thing that the Clockwork guys do is they play test their stuff. I mean, they know it. They play test it. They make some really clever choices. Um, and so we saw that with Resurgence. There was a lot of criticism of the game before Resurgence came out that, you know, oh, you know, it's just bolt-action version one. Well, they really went in and they sort of cherry-picked rules out of version two that worked really well. And the things that they didn't think worked well, especially those that interacted with certain conflict rules, they left out. Um, Now, that continues with Defiance, where you get even more new stuff laid on. Rules-wise, it's fairly light, but there's new units that add to the game. So, for example, let me explain. In bolt action, there's a lot of people who talk negatively about Tiger Fear, for example. Tiger Fear does not exist in Conflict 47. It just doesn't make sense in the context. You don't, you know, there's giant bears walking around. Um, ooh, a tiger tank, right? Like giant walkers. Ooh, tiger tank. No, that that doesn't make sense. So that rule doesn't exist. But they wanted to do something for German players that might help big cats. So rather than adding a rule, what they added was a new unit type. Um, instead of an observer, they can take one of these Wehrmacht target designator squads. And it counts as a sniper AT team or uh, observer for selection purposes. It's 30 points. And it's two bros. But one of them carries a target designator. Now... There's some rules about how this works, but basically, if a if a unit, if the like a if you have a king tiger and it can see across the table and it can see something it wants to shoot at, and your target designator guy can also see that thing, you can re-roll the king tiger's hit if it misses with its big gun. 
That's pretty awesome. But I don't feel like it's overpowered. A, you're paying for it. B, it's a specific set of circumstances that you need to line up in order for that to work. Um, but rerolls are just something that you don't get in bolt action. Like, <laughs> that's why bolt action happens. Because, you know, the dice roll and you go, ah, oh, I got smacked in the face by fate again. Well, this gives you a chance to sort of mitigate that with your big stuff. Um, and I like that. I think it's a really interesting choice. And you get the feeling that this is something that they tried and they tried to break it. Um, just from talking to those guys and from, you know, seeing what they do, they really go out of their way to think of clever solutions that don't break their own rule set, if that makes sense. Yeah. And look, in this new rule book, Defiance, they've gone and done some interesting. I, they've gone and done some interesting things in the sense that I think that they they feel confident enough now that they're actually tweaking some of the bolt action rules to suit um, yeah pay forty seven in interesting ways. So you know, behind enemy lines, for example, they've um, changed that. This is a rule we know from bolt action, but. Behind enemy lines in K47 not only means that you can um, come on, ignore the minus one command test for coming on from reserves, it also means that they forward deploy as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's interesting. That's probably a, a good um, cleanup of the rules and reducing the rules and making it a bit more straightforward. Um, similarly, rally to the colours. Yeah. Um, instead, of, instead of just being a rule that attached to units that no one ever used that have a flag... Um, they've added it to commissars, which is, I think, really smart and really interesting. Yeah, agreed. It is a really nice little add. Um, and, you know, they added certain scenario special rules in this book, um, and they added a ton of fluff, and uh, it just feels feels right. And, they, of course, they added some new weapons and new Rift Tech technology because, well, that's just what this game does. Um, but, again, none of the new stuff feels broken or awful. Um I know that sometimes games jump, jump the shark when new technology is added. I can still think of Car Wars when the, the Gauss rifle was added, and weirdly in uh, sorry, Battletech when the Gauss rifle was added in that game, and it also ruined it. Um, hey, Conflict 47 has a, has a Gauss rifle, and guess what? It doesn't seem to be <laughs> awful. I think they really um, they learned, they broke the, the curse of the Gauss rifle. Um, yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. That, and that's the positive way of looking at it. I guess, the you know, without wishing to sound negative, the other way you could look at it is that it's they've been a little bit cautious. They haven't um, they haven't overreached on anything. I mean, a lot of the new units are variations on um, units which have we've seen in previous books. Um, so you've got toad um, toad special weapons um, like the Schwenfeld projector or whatever yeah. it is, and variation various combinations of walkers we've sort of seen the parts of before um so look i i think that's sort of why i say it sort of rounds and fleshes out the universe because it gives you a full range of rift tech weapons across the various types of support units and um uh, weapons units you can have and um i suppose i'm you know the as a, as a gamer, I'm, I'm greedy and impatient. Um, <laughs> I'll be interested to see what, what comes next because I, yeah. this sort of feels like they've reached the end of the uh, first first phase, I suppose, to quote Churchill. It's yeah. um, the, the end of the beginning. 
Um, and, you know, it would be interesting to see what new territory they jump off into in, when they uh, do the new book, although I know that hearing on Rift Deck radios, the guys are going to take a bit of a strategic pause while they decide where they're going to go next. Again, and yes, and again, I'm glad they're doing that to figure it out and not just rush headlong into the next thing. Um, but I do, I do like, um, and I didn't notice it the first couple times I flipped through the book, uh, I do like how it ends. Did you notice uh, it ends with a campaign system? Um, yes. And I love that. Um, same thing about Strontium Dog. I'm These days I'm more, uh, I think I'm less of an event player and more of I enjoy fun narrative play with my friends. And I think this can, these campaign rules look excellent. Um, I mean, they're basic, but they work. And I'm looking forward to playing some some fun campaigns with my friends. Yeah, no, I think that's really good. And I think that um, K47, I think even more than Bolt Action, lends itself to campaigns, I guess, because, yeah. you know, in your imaginary universe, I, I, I sometimes crave a little bit of structure. Yes. <laughs> yep. So it's good to have that campaign system, and I think it'll it'll help, um, you know, build the game where you can... You know, get some players in and run through a campaign. You've got something to take them through. So unlike Bolt Action where you could say, oh, let's do a market garden campaign, um, there was always a, well, what do you do in terms of K47? Well, now we've got something to do to get people into it. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, if you haven't looked at Conflict 47, and people have heard me say this before, um, It is a different game. It is not Bolt Action. Um, It is very similar to Bolt Action. It's in the Bolt Action wheelhouse, so to speak. Um, But it it does have subtle differences. Um, It is nuanced. It is its its own animal. Uh, And I really recommend it. Um, More than I do most games, I really like Conflict 47. Um, I think that Bolt Action and Conflict 47 are both fantastic games. Clearly, I spent a lot of time talking about them. Um, but I think Conflict 47 does not get the respect it's due. I think it's just such a good game. Um, so I guess as we sort of wrap this, um, because I do sadly need to roll, um, I would like to encourage people to give it a solid look. Um, as Pete said, we are sort of at the end of phase one in this game. And I think now, if you have not gotten on, now is a really good time. Yeah, you got to buy three books, but they're Warlord books. So they're not going to break your wallet. Um, and man, the games are good. It's a, I mean, the game is good and the books are great reads. They're a lot of fun. Yeah. You do need to go look at resurgence really well when looking at the original rule book to get your head around it the first time. But man, once you start playing it, I recommend it. It's great. Pete, would you agree? Yeah, no, absolutely. And as I said earlier, my sort of intent over the next six to 12 months is to try and be a bit of a pusher for this game and um, build up a bit, help build up the community a bit. I think you're absolutely right. Now's the right time. We've got these three books and you've got a solid game. And I think, you know, the final thing I'd say is that one of the key differences is that K47, you're going to need to play with some bigger point values because the, yes. the toys are just bigger. But, you know, that's a positive, not a negative. That yep. you, you, You've got some really big cinematic games you can play um 
and you can play them quite quickly because the number of units you might be playing 1500 points but <laughs> yeah. you're probably playing with the same number of units you would with bolt action at a thousand or less points so exactly it really makes for some great cinematic games where you've got huge walkers you've got I just have to say the Italian armored infantry, both the fascist and the allied version, absolutely mouthwatering, um, right? beautiful figures. Yeah. Um, you know, and when you see that on a table, I mean, you, how can you not want to play? Agreed. And I, I know that some, one of the criticisms of bolt action is, Oh, but my early war, um, Germans got rolled over by late war Germans. Oh, technologically they're not the same. turns out every army in this game is late war. In fact, it's past late war. Um, and I think they've done a good job of um, adding units that were that properly fit the armies and feel of the game um, that give that nice, I don't know, the, 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 the character of each army and just expands upon it. So you can play late war every army in the game. You can play late war Italians, late war Finns, late war Japanese, late war Soviets. It doesn't matter. And everyone's on the same leg, so to speak. Um, it's great. Yeah. Yep. No, absolutely. They've done a great job and, um, looking forward to seeing where they go next. Amen, brother. Well, Pete, we are going to have to come on after we played some strong team dog and played some more conflict 47. Cause my next event is also going to be a K 47 event. Um, Lord knows when that will be, but God, man, it's always a pleasure talking to you. The mic is always open to you. My man, the seats always there. Please come back soon. Absolutely. Thanks. Always a pleasure, Brad. And I think we'll have to get together sometime soon and talk Strontium Dog when we've had a game or two. Amen. And maybe some G.I. Joe. But, you know, who, who am I yeah, to bring up to Joe? We need to get around to that. <laughs> we really do. Um, <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to Pete and I chat this evening. Um, guys, uh, we know that podcasting doesn't cost anything. Uh, it is time, though, and time is precious. Uh, we really do appreciate you taking the time to listen to us this evening. Um, it means the world. Uh, as, if you would like to give us feedback, positive or negative, um, you can find us on Facebook by typing Cast Dice. That's C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. Type Cast Dice in. You will find a page called The Land O Misfit Toys slash The Home of the Cast Dice Podcast. Please find us. Uh, message us directly there. Uh, my name is Brad. I answer all the messages. Uh, I have to say I've gotten a lot of great messages recently. Some great ideas for the show um, that we've been integrating and some just really nice positive feedback, even from some folks who are like, look, longtime listener, never written before, just wanted to say, you know, enjoy your work, keep it up. You know, in the in the depths of Aussie winter, which isn't necessarily cold, but is gray and a little grim at times. Um, you know, when you had a tough day at work, those messages really are awesome. So, to those who have reached out, thank you. Um, again, love you guys, ladies and gentlemen. No matter what you are doing, we hope that your dice roll hot. We hope your beverages are cold. But more than that, when you are playing the games that we love. More than anything else, we hope that you are having fun. From Cast Dice, we would like to say, Pete, take us out. Farewell, guys.
Gonna take 